Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, September 10th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Ahead of tomorrow's 9-11 anniversary, how threats to the U.S. have changed over two decades. Plus, COVID today by the numbers. And today's one big thing, interfaith efforts to fight hate in New York and beyond. The last time I was at the site of the World Trade Center was just a few months after the September 11th attacks, back in 2001. And it was so new, the rubble was even still smoking. So this week, while I was in New York, I wanted to visit the memorial that's there now, the two man-made waterfalls in the footprints of the towers, with names of those lost engraved all around. Today, we're going to be remembering what happened with some of my Axios co-workers, and we'll hear from them in a little bit. Yesterday, it was a rainy day when we were there. There were lots of other journalists and tour groups. And, of course, families of those who lost loved ones that day, like Ray Costello. My brother, whose name is right here on the wall, uh, died on 9-11. He was working at the Mercer Hotel, heard the first plane crash, then came running down here. And he ran in through Tower 1 and was found under Tower 2. Even before this memorial was built, there were a lot of discussions about how to commemorate that day and the lives lost. Near the site, you might remember there were plans to build an Islamic community center and mosque just a few blocks away. Eleven years ago, the Anti-Defamation League, an NGO focused on the defamation of Jewish people and the fair treatment for all, opposed the location of that center. But this week, the ADL's national director in a CNN op-ed apologized for that stance. Jonathan Greenblatt is the CEO and National Director of the ADL and with us now. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. And I should say, uh, Shana Tova, why was it important for you to write about this during what is now the holiest part of the Jewish year? This is the uh, annual uh, Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. At this time, Jews around the world think about not just the year ahead, but the year that's been. And we engage in a process called tshuva, or repentance, where you reflect on moments when you misstepped. And if you wronged people, how you hope to do to do right by them. You know, I've been the CEO of ADL for six some odd years, but it's a legacy organization with a storied history. For all of the successes we've had, we've also missed the mark a few times. One of those moments where I, I don't think we necessarily represented our values was a decision that was made at ADL some 11 years ago when the organization decided not to support the Cordoba House, this multi-faith effort that was championed by some Muslim activists as a way to try to not just heal the city of New York, but really heal the country. And unfortunately, I think that noble intention was slandered by some. ADL, to be honest, got engaged on an issue where ADL didn't belong. We actually end up feeding into anti-Muslim hate. And I think that was a low point for this organization. It felt like in this moment, as we approach the 20th anniversary, it was an appropriate point just to account for our, our sins and to acknowledge the error and to seek to do better by the Muslim community in the years ahead. What is your assessment as the CEO of the ADL where we stand as a country in terms of fair treatment for everyone? You continue to see anti-Muslim sentiment specifically normalized in the media and expressed in popular culture in so many ways. When demonization has been normalized, 
I think we've really got to dig deep and invoke our better angels and resist that temptation and push back on those people who engage in this kind of hate. What role do you want interfaith groups to play in all of this? Some of the most impressive, important community building is indeed happening on the ground, quietly out of the headlines. There's an organization called the Muslim Jewish Advisory Committee, or MJAC, doing great work on the ground in cities across the country to bring together Jewish and Muslim communities. I think diversity is a strength. It's what's made this country great for hundreds of years. And I think we've got to lean into that in these moments to learn from one another. Because ultimately, education, it's the best antidote to intolerance. And that can happen, again, on the ground, in communities, at the block-by-block level, and there's lots of opportunity there. Jonathan Greenblatt is the CEO and National Director of the Anti-Defamation League. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me. In 15 seconds, we'll be back with Mike Allen's reflections on 9-11. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. On September 11, 2001, I was just starting my journalism career at Reuters in Washington. Axios co-founder Mike Allen was also in D.C. with The Washington Post and was traveling with President George Bush in Florida when the attacks happened. Now that it's been 20 years, I asked him what he remembers from that day. A big thing about that day was we didn't know what was next. What were the targets? What else was out there? I was part of the press corps that got left behind in Sarasota after Air Force One took off. And when the White House flew us back, we were the only plane in the air. I was like, do we really want to be the only plane in the air on 9-11? But of course, the correspondents all wanted to get back to Washington to their families and to get on TV. When you cover the president, so much is concealed. This was a moment when the White House, the government, the country— were all exposed. The machinery, the vulnerabilities, the hatred, our patriotism. Axios's main offices are in D.C. and New York, and that's where my colleague Brian Walsh is based. The past couple of days, he and I have been talking about the threats that we face now compared to back then. So I asked him to join me at the 9-11 Memorial in Manhattan to talk about that. Hey, Ryan, thank you for being with me. It's good to be here. You moved to New York just a couple years after 9-11. How do you feel like the city has changed in all the time that you've been here? It's funny because we're here on the 9-11 site. And when I moved here, it was still mostly a deconstruction site. You were reminded in both this site itself, in the enhanced security around everything from the Federal Reserve Bank to any kind of monument around here, just what had, had really changed. But... It is amazing, 20 years on, that it both feels very distant, but then you're reminded that it's still driving both the history of this city and the history of the country and the world at large. 20 years ago, there was so much conversation around the threats that we missed that caused 9-11 to happen. What threats do you think we're missing today? I think the threat nature has changed a lot since 9-11. What's changed is that we face now a really renewed era of power conflict. We have... Russia, we have China, we have other countries, and the competition between those countries and the United States is growing. At the same time, you have new tools, new ways to create real destruction, real catastrophe. I think about the threat from cyber terror, cyber espionage, cyber uh, sabotage, whatever you want to call it. 
that's so much greater than it was in 2001 because we're so much more connected. The good news is they, you know, we negotiate, we have communication, we have diplomacy, but I am very worried about the amount of catastrophic threats we face. And I think when you look at COVID-19, how good we would be at actually handling it. I don't think we would be very good. It's a big question, and I don't know if you can answer it. Are we safer now than we were 20 years ago? It's really hard to say. I think on the whole, no. I think the reason is that our society is a lot more fragile than it was in 2001. Part of that is we've connected things in a way we didn't before, so you can have these kind of cascading effects from a cyber terror event, from a hack, from a disease, obviously, that wasn't quite the case in 2001. And then you look at really old threats that are back in a big way. I mean, nuclear weapons have not gone away. They might have felt as if they had in 2001, but that would mean catastrophe on a scale that would obviously dwarf what happened here in 9-11. Brian Walsh is Actius's future correspondent. Brian, thanks for being here with me. Thank you. Almost 3,000 people died in the September 11th attacks. But at least that many Americans are dying of COVID-19 every two days. So before we go this week, here's the latest on COVID by the numbers. 153,000. That's the daily average of Americans who've tested positive for COVID-19 over the past two weeks. One in 5,000. That's the chance of a breakthrough infection among vaccinated Americans, though it could potentially be lower if they live in highly vaccinated communities. And 2.1 million. That's the number of federal employees who will now be required to be vaccinated, according to a new executive order from President Biden announced yesterday. 80 million other Americans in the private sector will also be required to get the vaccine or get tested regularly. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening and for starting your day with us. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Stay safe this weekend, and I'll see you back here on Monday.